welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective of the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. I am one of your hosts, Krista Horton, and I am here with, I almost said the lovely, the talented. (laughs) Thank you. You are lovely, Zach. Thank you. My co-host and husband extraordinaire, Zachary Horton. Thanks for being here with us today, Zach. Oh, I'm glad I could be here. Thanks for having me on, Krista. <laughs> it's really an honor to be on your show. Thank you. We're glad to have you. Anyway. Hey, we just had fireworks go off outside our window and thought maybe they're celebrating our 26th episode of the podcast. They must be. They must know at the right moment. I wonder if it'll pick up on the... Probably, I wonder how much outside not, noise you but... can hear. Um, but yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. We are looking forward to starting a new book of scripture. We are finishing up, well, we finished up the Gospels last week, and now we get to be studying in the Acts of the Apostles. This study this week is chapters one through five. And I think the thing that, well, besides that I'm excited to study the book of Acts in this way um, over these next weeks, um, we get to study in one chunk. We don't have to skip around to different books and kind of get a little confused on all that. Yeah, Don't I you like think that. that's good? I like it. It'll be, Maybe you it'll will be enjoy that with your study as well. We hope so. Makes it a little bit easier to navigate. <laughs> hey, the doctrine we wanted to look at just briefly as we start this book is one that we probably won't dive into a whole lot as we study the book of Acts, but one that you could use as a frame for your study. Especially because it's so central to yeah, yeah. the Acts of the Apostles, what we're studying. Uh, the doctrine is prophets and revelation. Um, those two doctrines are deliberately linked in the Come, Follow Me curriculum for the youth. They're also linked in uh, the doctrinal mastery study in seminary. And so, and I've wondered why those two, a couple of years ago, I wondered why they were linked together. And as I've studied them, I realized there's a lot of power in placing those two truths next to each other. So truth one, God speaks to us through living prophets and apostles. Um, We take that as really... uh, I think, maybe take it for granted, but it is one of, if not perhaps the most defining feature of our specific Christian denomination, that we believe that God currently reveals his mind and will to prophets and apostles. It's a pretty rare thing. We believe that God um, didn't just speak in the past, but that he speaks today. So that's truth one. Truth two is that he speaks to us personally um, through our own personal revelation. President Eyring once called these uh, the priesthood line of revelation and the personal line of revelation. Uh, He also incidentally named a third type of revelation, which I don't think he used this term, it may be mine, but uh, he called it confirmatory revelation, where we use personal revelation to confirm Uh, something that has come to us through the priesthood line of revelation. So for example, Nephi receives the direction from his father, the prophet, that he should go and get the plates. That's the priesthood line. Nephi then approaches the Lord and receives his own confirmation, not that the word to the prophet was accurate or inaccurate, because that's not his place, but that the Lord can sustain him in following the prophet's directions. I will go and do the things which the Lord has commanded because I know that God won't give commandments unless he provides a way for me to accomplish the thing he's asking me. And so that's confirmatory revelation. So 
Anyway, there is a power in putting that priesthood line of revelation next to the personal line of revelation. And what I've noticed as I've studied the beginning of the book of Acts here, and I've also been looking at President Nelson's talk, Revelation for the Church, Revelation for Our Lives, from a year conference a year ago, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, they, in both places here in Acts chapter one and in President Nelson's talk, they describe the process that living prophets or apostles go through to receive revelation. And it's really similar. In Acts, they need to choose another apostle to fill Judas's position. And President Nelson talks about the revelation he needed to go through in order to choose his counselors. What I love is that in both places, neither the apostles nor President Nelson are using methods that are extraordinary. Um, I think I always probably naively thought that there was some kind of glowing white telephone in the temple that President Nelson picked up and called God and asked him what his revelation was and God would give it through the phone to President Nelson and then he would come and give it to the church. Now that could very well happen. I know there are places in the temple um, where prophets and apostles go and counsel and even places where the prophets go uh, specifically. And so I don't know all the ins and outs of everything. And there have been, of course, cases in church history and scriptural history where there have been extraordinary revelations. But it seems like most often prophets and apostles receive revelation the same way you and I do. They pray, they fast, they study the scriptures, they counsel together with those that they know and love and trust. They pay attention to ideas and promptings and feelings, and they act on those ideas and promptings and feelings. They seek for the Spirit's confirmation, and as they act, they receive that confirmation. It's a process that I think is very familiar to all of us, and I love that that's what they do to talk to God. There's no special way to do it. It's the way that they teach us how to do it. So do you think that that is always comforting? I'm wondering if there's that idea of, well, they're a prophet. They should have mm. this extra, and, and maybe that's what you're talking about, these extraordinary events happening that are a lot recorded because they're extraordinary so right, we do right. we see and we kind of applaud those events or pay attention to them more that's a good question i th i think you and i were talking about this the other day that um i think quite often in the church maybe it's our culture that we expect revelation or inspiration to be surprising and extraordinary um so this last general conference is maybe a good example where um i think everyone was anticipating another big quote-unquote revelatory Reveal. announcement yes <laughs> on what would happen mm -hmm. and there wasn't an extraordinary revelation and so people might have walked away from general conference thinking well that was uninspired or unrevelatory when every single talk could have been a source of revelation meaning god speaking to you mm -hmm. yeah it wasn't surprising and it wasn't extraordinary it wasn't unexpected um, but it was revelation nonetheless we talked about when when we receive callings in the church maybe culturally we we shy away from counseling about callings um and i wonder if part of it is because if we we feel that in order for a calling to be inspired it has to be surprising in other words if i tell the bishop that i really want to serve in the sunday school and then i get called to the sunday school my conclusion might be well that wasn't inspired he just picked my calling for me instead of i tell him i want to serve in the sunday school and he calls me into the bishopric and whoa was never expecting that that must be revelation I think we kind of fall into that trap where we want our revelation to be out of the ordinary when in reality, um, revelation should be something that's 
common and familiar. It follows our familiar patterns in talking to God. And a lot of times his revelation to us should be familiar to us if we're talking to him regularly enough. Which is interesting because you do see, I mean, this has obviously been a topic on President Nelson's mind because he has given a lot of talks on on this topic. And also, I feel like some extra things. A lot of his, um, well, I just read that Insight book from from him on, well, Sherry Dew wrote it about him. And it talks a lot. And then extra videos, too, that the church has put out on from Sister Nelson talking about the revelation process from her perspective. And I think maybe that's why he feels like the need to talk about that is to kind of maybe normalize that idea of, no, I'm wrestling. I'm having some of these same experiences that you are. But also what I was inspired by was some of those stories, the practice that he has had throughout his life of how he has come to know the voice of the Lord in his life, which is what he's encouraging all of us to do in in his addresses on this topic. Yeah, I like that a lot. So maybe something to ponder as you study uh, this week and in the coming weeks. It's interesting to pay attention to. We're going to have multiple examples of apostles receiving revelation. How did they do it? What methods did they use? Is there something in their recipe for revelation that they use that you don't yet use? Or are they using the same things? And maybe uh, we need to focus less on the unexpected, surprising revelations and more on the comfortable, comforting, um, even working, like kind of putting our, putting some grit behind our desire to connect with that kind of revelation. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Uh, we wanted to provide just a brief background into this next book. Um, of course you can get background information in the come follow me materials and, um, you can also find plenty of resources, uh, that'll give you good background information on, the setting and the timing and everything of the book of Acts. But one of the things that I think is really helpful as you dive into this book is number one, and I've made this mistake even in this episode, the book is titled The Acts of the Apostles. And I've heard someone once say, if we were to shorten the book, we shorten it to Acts all the time. We should probably just shorten it to Apostles. It is a book about Jesus's apostles, his disciples. It's a book about what those people, those changed people do, how they change the world. Um, It is a part two. Luke is the author, most people believe is the author of this book, and Luke is also the author of the Gospel of Luke. And in some ways, it almost looks like this book, The Acts of the Apostles, was Luke's primary focus, that maybe he was writing uh, his gospel as a preface. People knew many of the stories, and so he was writing a literary account of that, not for any new information, but for those that maybe already knew, putting it in order and writing it down, and that this book is the new information. Uh, This is verse 1. Luke says, The former treatise, meaning the last book I wrote, the Gospel of Luke, have I made, O Theophilus. Theophilus, uh, there's some debate on whether or not this is an actual person, or uh, Theophilus means friend of God. Is it a title that Luke is using to write to anyone that considers themselves a friend of God? Uh, So the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Interesting that Luke chooses the word to describe his, the whole gospel of Luke. That is the beginning of what Jesus was doing and teaching. This book then, by implication, is the continuance of what he's doing and teaching. 
And so it almost sets this up as as not just not the sequel, but the Gospel of Luke as the prequel, which makes this a really exciting book to read. Um, what we want to look at in this episode is uh, this one point, and we're going to use Peter as perhaps the example of this. Um, the last thing that Luke records about Peter the Apostle is in Luke chapter 22, and it's Peter's denial. Uh, after that, uh, Luke moves on during the resurrection and on the cross, he moves on to the women at the tomb and Mary and uh, the apostle or the disciples on the way to Emmaus and Thomas. Um, but the last significant thing he records about Peter is his denial. Then you go to Acts, or Apostles, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 15, and it says this. So verses 1 through 14 um, are is kind of the preface. It's the summary of 40 days of Jesus' ministry with the apostles. There's some incredible things that happen there that Luke doesn't write down at all. Uh, you get some hints at what Jesus teaches his apostles if you go to the Doctrine and Covenants. I'll let you search for that. But in verse 15, And in those days... Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, and then he sermonizes in chapter two, verse 14, but Peter standing up with the 11 lifted up his voice and said unto them, and then he sermonizes. I think Luke is using those two phrases in conjunction with what he ended with at the end of Luke to show you that, first of all, in a micro uh, scope, Peter has changed. He used to be this Peter, and now he's this Peter. He is Peter the Apostle, Peter the one that stands up, Peter the bold, Peter the brave, Peter the one that uh, gets locked in prison and, and uh, is crucified upside down. That's Peter. In a macro view, I think Luke wants to show you that this whole book is a book about people that change. Peter's going to change even multiple times in this book. You're going to see the story of Paul unfold in the book of the uh, Acts of the Apostles, and he's going to change. And I think this whole book is meant to show if uh, the book of Luke is meant to show who does the changing, the book of Acts shows who the changed people are and what changed people do or how changed people change the world. And so that's what we're going to focus on. What changed in Peter that uh, we can identify with as fellow disciples of Christ? What things change in us when we follow the Savior? And how can we, like Peter, change the world? I love that some of these first chapters that we get are stories of the Spirit. We ended with Jesus talking and teaching um, his apostles that he was going to leave his spirit. He was going to leave his comfort. Don't be, don't be afraid. He would say, I'm going to leave you with this comfort. And if you listen to past lessons, you probably, I know that I, I went off on that because I just, I love that this is something so tangible for us to relate to in these scriptures. This is something that he is not only teaching his apostles, um, what they're going to experience, but we get to experience that too. And he, um, We'll just start here in um, chapter 2. He says, It's the day of Pentecost has arised, arrived. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And they 
were changed. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I like that that's kind of this tangible evidence sort of of this the first change that's happening they're they're experiencing this change and they go throughout and Zach already mentioned this but that change that we see in Peter that um, is because of the spirit he is experiencing this this change because the spirit is enabling him to do this he stands up in um, and preaches to these people very a very powerful sermon and we see a few of those in these chapters um, of him being empowered through the Spirit. And I love that we get these these examples of, of what the Spirit did for these apostles, but what it can also do for us. Well, and you were even looking a little bit later at the scripture that Peter quotes from Joel about um, the Spirit being poured out and there was another yes. talk you were looking at too. Yes, so there's in his sermon that we're talking about, starting in um, chapter 2, verse 14, he is referencing and quoting from Joel. And Sister Beck has one of my favorite talks that we'll put in show notes in the show notes. Um, but she says, A revelation in the book of Joel states that in the last days, sons and daughters of God will prophesy, and the Lord will pour out his spirit upon his servants and his handmaids. And isn't that the same call that we talked about from President Nelson, that this is these are the last days. And here we have a prophet from the Old Testament. We have a, an apostle from the New Testament. And then this, you know, Sister Beck bringing this up again and likening it to us. And we have a prophet today telling us of this power of connecting that this spirit is our opportunity to be able to teach with power like Peter, to be able to to really change ourselves through the Holy Spirit. It's a cool thing to think of that the thing that's changed for Peter and the apostles is before Jesus was ever present and told them everything. Now he's no longer there physically present and walking with them. And so they've got to answer questions on their own. Uh, and by on their own, I just mean they have to go through that revelatory process on their own. Uh, to know the mind and will of God. And it's a cool thing to think about that we go through a similar change. Mm -hmm. That as we grow and mature, one of the skills, especially according to President Nelson, that we need to grow and mature in is our ability to uh, have the Spirit poured out on us and then discern through that Spirit decisions and choices for our life and what we need to do. Well, and in past episodes, at least as we've talked about the Spirit, I just love these different, you know, first we hear about the wind of, you know, likening it to the wind, like we just quoted. And then in verse 37, when they heard this, talking of Peter's sermon, they were pierced to the heart um, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? They're so moved. They're pierced. Isn't that, ooh, I just love these words that they mm -hmm. use to describe the spirit with. They're pierced. And I'm just thinking of the last episode with the road to Emmaus. They, their hearts were burned within them. And Let's remember those times that we have. We've felt those burnings. We've felt those piercings. And then here they go. Peter replies, well, repent and be baptized. And then in verse 41, so the, those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. We just see so many people just realizing and feeling this movement, this power that Peter is just, and the apostles are just moving forward with. And it's because of Jesus Christ. He is teaching his apostles and he is teaching these people through his spirit. Um, 
And as we move into kind of these next verses in chapter two, um, these it's talking about what the church is now doing. It's growing very rapidly. And verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. To prayer, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Um, and then in verse 46, it says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. And they... They rejoiced together. They had these sincere hearts. And it was this daily discipleship of them realizing that they wanted to be doing this every day. It was filling them with so much joy. And I think that's another part of maybe that change Mm -hmm. that we can experience is not only that we should be devoting ourselves to some sort of daily discipleship, being in the scriptures, um, having prayer, personal prayer, family prayer, but also um, that desire that comes when we kind of feel the power, feel the the motion of that experience of having the Spirit with us daily. I think of King Benjamin's people after his address when they cry out that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. And what you're saying is one of the things that changes Mm -hmm. this, if we're looking again at the book of Acts of the Apostles as a book of changed people who are now changing the world, a mark of changed people is their their dedication to daily discipleship and their desire for it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of D's in that sentence. (laughs) But they, they desire, they want to be involved in something spiritually uplifting every single day. And if that's not something that we feel then maybe there's more work to do in our relationship with the Savior, more conversion that causes that desire for daily discipleship. Yeah, that we can, going back, oh, it's cool to kind of link these together of these things that Jesus has left with us, the Spirit, the sacrament, the the daily devotions, that every day when we remember Jesus, it can change the way we live. I like it. So changed people feel the Spirit. And use that spirit to receive revelation. Changed people devote themselves to daily discipleship. Uh, The story that I loved this read-through is in chapter 3. Peter and John go together to the temple, and there's a certain man, the book says, lame from his mother's womb, who was carried and laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered the temple. I'll get to the healing in a second, but the first thing that stands out to me is here's a man that has been laid since his birth daily at the temple. Do you know who has been in and out of that temple a lot the past three years? Jesus of Nazareth. Do you know who has never healed this man? Jesus of Nazareth. Um, You have to know, just with Jesus being who he is, that he knows this man, that he identified him and saw the need. And so I've always wondered, why is it that his healing only comes here? Why doesn't it come there? And it's beyond me to guess at the Savior's motives or reasons. But one possible idea might be so that, as he said with other healings, the glory of God might be manifest, this time though not in him, the Son of God, but in those whom he's called and chosen. And so I love these verses because they indicate how Peter has become so much like the Savior. You read and you picture him doing this and you can picture Jesus doing the exact same thing. And I think it's a good reflection for us to see, could we be doing the same thing? 
verse 3, this man who, when seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Um, there's so much that can be drawn from this, but the change that I drew from it is that Peter and John and us, hopefully, when we have spent significant time with the Savior, are changed to be able to see like him. I've been fascinated with this topic for the past couple of weeks. I've noticed that a character trait the Savior has is that he beholds or sees, then loves, then heals or corrects. It's a very simple pattern, but he uses it all the time. The rich young ruler says, Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and then tells him, one thing thou lacks, go sell all that thou hast and follow me. Uh, the woman taken in adultery, it says that when he, seeing none but the woman, conveys his love to her by using that divine title, woman, and then gives her the correction, go and sin no more. Here you see Peter doing the same thing. He fastens his eyes on this man. He truly sees him, looks into him, looks through him. You can feel the love that would come from him, and then he heals him. Then he fixes him through the power of Jesus Christ. And so I love that changed Peter and changed us will see people um, the way that Jesus sees them. This one is a powerful one, too. We see that change in Peter, like you said, and then also the change in this man who was healed as he finally can walk. I love that it says that he's he is walking and leaping and just so excited to be able to, well, walk and mm -hmm. experience the temple for the first time. So it changed Peter, changes someone else. Yeah, yeah. which is true. That's just how it, the process of how the spirit and how, how the power of Jesus Christ works Christ in our lives. Christ changes us and then we change the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, to end, and maybe this is where we should have began, but uh, verse 8 in chapter 1, uh, a lot of people point to this as kind of the outline of the entire book. Jesus, when he's with these apostles after his uh, resurrection, says, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. The first many chapters are about the apostles' uh, teachings and preachings in Jerusalem. And in all Judea, which is the next part of the book of Acts, and in Samaria, which is the next part, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And the book of Acts follows that four part. You've got first Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the rest of the world. What I love, though, is at the end of this, in chapters 4 and 5, when Peter and John are hauled in front of the Sanhedrin, it mentions multiple times. Uh, chapter 4, verse 39 is just one example, or 29. Um, 
that Peter speaks with boldness. In verse 31, again, the Holy Ghost comes upon him and he speaks the word of God with boldness. And so if you're looking at yourself this week and looking at the study and how Christ changes people, um, I think it's a powerful thing to identify that Christ fills us with the Spirit and then we help others feel that same Spirit. Um, that Christ changes us and we change others. He helps us see people. And then he also helps us to be bold in bearing witness of him wherever we go and whoever we talk to. In fact, and I'm sure we've mentioned this in a previous episode, but the word apostle, which is the title of this episode, literally means one who was sent. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. Uh, We hope that this makes a difference for you and that it starts a great study in the book of Acts for you. And we will see you next week.